There is a famous line from Shakespeare's Hamlet where Polonius is bidding farewell to his son Laertes as he's leaving for France. His young son leaving for France, and here you have this scene, and it's in the opening act, and Polonius is bidding farewell to his son, and he's giving him some advice about what to expect and what he needs to do when on his journey to France. And Polonius tells him this. He says, costly thy habit as thy purse can buy, but not expressed in fancy, rich, not gaudy. And then perhaps a line that you may be familiar with. For the apparel oft proclaims the man. For the apparel oft proclaims the man. Perhaps you are familiar with the quote as it was expressed by Mark Twain a little bit later in a little bit more modern of English. The clothes make the man. The clothes make the man. And this is what he added to it. Naked people have little or no influence on society. The point expressed by Shakespeare and Twain is this. A man's clothes can tell you a lot about the man. A person's clothes speak about the person. It is true. That, that, that night, out, night outfit, that nice outfit or suit can change the way you feel. There is a scene in the movie Family Man. Have you ever seen this movie, Family Man, with Nicolas Cage? Great movie. Um, and, and there's a scene in it where actor Nicolas Cage plays a Wall Street acquisitions and mergers tycoon. His name is Jack Campbell. And he's given a glimpse by an angel, played by Don Cheadle, and of what his life would have been like had he not taken the internship in London and he would have stayed in America and stayed with his college uh, girlfriend, who was played by Taya Leone, right? And so... So he gets this glimpse, and in the glimpse, he married his college sweetheart and ends up running, not being on Wall Street, he ends up running his father-in-law's tire store. And when he realizes that, he's like, yeah, I sell tires. That's what I do. I sell tires. And there's this scene where they finally get out of the house and they go to the mall. And uh, Jack Campbell is just, you know, he, he just gravitates immediately towards the men's department at the department store, the suit department, and he begins to try on these suits. And, and, and so there he, there's a scene there where he's looking at these suits, and he's in jeans and a t-shirt, and he's trying on these expensive suits. Look at here, I got a picture for you. They're in the, in the men's room, and he looks into the mirror at himself, and he says, wearing this suit actually makes me feel like a better person. Wearing this suit actually makes me feel like a better person. Everybody, or at least most people, every now and again like to get dressed in a nice outfit, a nice suit, a nice dress. And people will inevitably say, oh, you look great, you look sharp, man. You are looking sharp, amen? And, and, and you look great. Now going through the archives this week, I found an old picture of this young couple. Take, take a look at these guys. <laughs> oh, can you believe that? Yeah. Uh, 
these guys, man, they got dressed up and, 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 and just were looking sharp. Look at these two cool hipsters, right? Two cool hipsters. Wow. This is Mary Jo and I on our way to her senior prom. Did you know that I married the prom queen? Amen? Did you know that? Yes, I married the prom queen. And uh, yeah, so anyways, are you having fun yet? On a serious note, I'm going to go ahead and agree with William Shakespeare and Mark Twain, but for different reasons than they represent. The Bible talks about the clothes of the person, and let me tell you, they definitely make the man. There are clothes of the citizen of heaven and clothes of the man of the world. And to be a citizen of heaven, it's absolutely required that you have the right clothes, the right suit, the right robe. As we continue tonight in our Citizen Series, we're working our way through the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. And tonight we're going to take a look at two of them. And let's see how this all connects to the fashion choices of men and women today. First, we'll look at the blessedness of the proper desire of heaven's citizens. Amen? The blessedness of the proper desire of heaven's citizens. Let's read it. Verse 6 of Matthew 5, it says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And we'll go ahead and read verse 7 as well. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The next point of blessing on this bill of blessedness for the citizens of the kingdom of heaven is the blessedness of the proper desire of the citizen of heaven. This is a blessing to have a desire for the one thing that is the most important thing in the universe to have. The citizen of heaven has a desire implanted in them for the most important thing that you can possess in all of the universe. What is it? Righteousness. Righteousness. Righteousness is the most important thing to possess in all the universe. And what is sad is that it is far down the list for many people in terms of what they desire. And not even on many people's lists of hierarchy of desires whatsoever. You said, hey, what do you desire in this world? What is it that you have need of? And righteousness might not even make the list. But let me submit to you tonight it's the most important thing that you could ever possess. Jesus says here, blessed, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who have a desire for the righteousness of God, for they will receive it. They will be filled. Amen? The reason you can hunger and thirst for righteousness is that you have come face to face with your spiritual poverty. If you've come face to face, the first beatitude in this list, the first bill of this blessedness of the kingdom of heaven is blessed are, they, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
And the reason then you can hunger and thirst is because you come face to face with your, the poverty of your soul, the poverty of your spirit, the absolute bankruptcy of your spiritual assets. And you come and you say, oh my goodness, I don't have righteousness. I don't measure up to the perfection that God expects. And I need righteousness because I look at what I have and I have unrighteousness. I have unrighteousness and God expects us to be righteous. He expects, what is God? People today will say, well, you know, that's not good enough for me or that's not quite what I would do. or that, And they have this kind of understanding of what their expectation level is. What God's expectation is absolute 100% righteousness. And the problem with mankind is that we don't have it and it's exactly what we need to be a citizen of heaven. The person who is poor in spirit then hungers. For righteousness, the person who's poor in spirit desires righteousness, and they're filled by the one who can provide that meal of the righteousness of God. Then that desire for the righteousness of God becomes a trait for the citizen. It's not that we one time had a desire for the righteousness, amen? The trait of just continuing to have that desire for the righteousness of Christ in our lives is something that marks our lives all the way through as a believer in God, a citizen of heaven. Because the citizen of heaven needs to know that the fact that they have received the righteousness of God is the only way that they can be and continue to be citizens of heaven to begin with. The citizen of heaven must have the righteousness of God. Now, where were you going with the whole fashion thing? Charles, what did that, you had this quote from Shakespeare, it was great. Impressive. You showed how Mark Twain kind of updated it. Where are you going with this? Righteousness and unrighteousness is pictured as garments in the Bible. Righteousness and unrighteousness are pictured as clothes, as as garments in the Bible. And Paul says this, that we need to cast off the works of darkness And he uses the language of casting off that you would cast off the robe or the clothes, the the clothes of darkness. He says we need to cast off the works of darkness like dirty clothes. Like when you look down and you realize, you know, you're going to go out for the day and you put a shirt on and you're going, you know, you walk out and you don't even catch it. And your wife says, where are you going with that? Where are you going in that shirt? And you're like, I like this shirt. It's a great shirt. Well, yeah, but it's got a stain running all the way down the front of it. It's dirty. Go take it off and go change. And what, what Paul is saying is, look, your, your clothes are dirty. You've got, the, you've got the clothes of darkness, and you need to cast those off. You need to cast those off, and you need to desire the righteous clothes that Jesus is going to give you. Now, there's a list of the works of darkness, the, the clothes of darkness, in Galatians 5, and they're called the works of the flesh. He calls them the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, and and it's found in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. He says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. They're clear. Works of the flesh, sin, it's clear. It's it's, it's clear, it's evident. It, 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 It shouldn't need explaining. Which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Here's the list. Here's the list. 
And, and Paul says, too, if, you, you're, if you're guilty of one trespass of the law, you're, we're guilty of all of the law, of trespassing all of it. If you've, if you've trespassed on one point of it, you're guilty of trespassing it all. Now, what are we to do when we realize we, these are the clothes? These are the clothes we had. These are the garments. This is the fashion that people are walking around in. They may hide behind the Armani suit or whatever. They go up on the red carpet. Hey, what are you wearing? No, it's who are you wearing, right? We'll get to that later. These are our garments. These are our garments. And Paul Paul says to the Romans, we're to cast these off like dirty clothes. The problem today is this is being worn. This right here, this list, this is the list that's being worn as the high fashion of the day. People today are proud of their garments of darkness. They're proud of their garments of darkness. They're proud. Like I said, like an Armani suit or a taffeta dress, they're, they're, they're proud of these clothes. A perfect picture of this, a perfect picture. And we, you, if you were there on Wednesday night, we talked about this. It's interesting how the different studies end up kind of weaving together. Perfect picture of this is seen from our Bible study this past Wednesday in Revelation 3, where we studied about the church of Laodicea, the seventh church in the list of seven, the church of Laodicea. And Laodicea was a city that had textile manufacturing. Laodicea was known for a quality black wool produced from a particular strain of sheep bred in the Lycus Valley, and it was used for cloth and carpets, and mainly it was used for the high fashion of, of, of that area. Laodicea was known for this fine black wool clothing. The Laodiceans were known for their, their shiny black suits, like a Hugo Boss or a, like an Armani. We, we, look at us. In fact, they, Jesus says they boasted. They said, look, we're rich. We're rich, we're, we're, we're just got it together, we're, we're, we are on target, we don't, in fact, we have need of nothing, they said. And Jesus steps into the middle of it and he says, no, what you don't know, what you don't know is that you're poor, and you're blind, and you're wretched, and you're naked. You think you got these clothes, you think you're running around in your black suits, you think you got, you're, you're, you got it down. You're, you're walking the, 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 the runways of high fashion. But, but you're naked, according to Jesus. You're naked. This is what Adam and Eve realized. It's what Adam and Eve realized when they lost the glory of God. And the righteousness of God, they had the glory of God. They had the kabod, the heaviness, the weightiness of God. They had this sense of the presence. They had this glory of God. And they were just in the garden before God. And when they disobeyed God, when they sinned, when they committed the act of unrighteousness, when they entered into unrighteousness, they shed the, the, the suit light and they put on a darkness clothes. And when they looked down at themselves, they said, we're naked. We're naked. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And they ran and they hid themselves. And they tried to, to, to sew some leaves together. They didn't know what to do. 
We're trying to figure this out on the fly. We're naked. We had a heaviness. We had a weight on us. We had the glory of God on us. We had an arm. We had a suit of an armor of light on us. And now we're naked. What are we going to do? And, they, and, and the Bible says that they took fig leaves and they sewed fig leaves together to try to cover their, their nakedness. Laodicea boasted in their dark clothes. Jesus says, you're naked. And he actually goes further in Revelation 3. He says, and your shame is not covered. Your shame is not covered. You're naked and your shame is not covered. So what did he do? He says, I counsel you. Here's what I'm asking. Here's what you need to do. If you'll receive it. If you'll receive it. You don't have to receive it. You could keep doing your own thing. You can keep going your own way. But if you'll receive it, here's what you need to do. I counsel you to buy from me, and he says, white garments. White garments to replace those black garments that you have. Now, back in the garden. So this is what he says in Revelation. Now we're hopping back to Genesis, okay? Genesis, Revelation, whole book, okay? In Genesis, back in the garden, God comes on and says, Where were you? We hid ourselves. We hid ourselves because we we saw that we were naked. We hid ourselves and and, and we took, we we didn't know what to do, so we got some fig leaves and we sewed them all together. Are we okay? Tic tac. All right, I'm gonna need one after the service. I'm gonna need a tic tac. Um where was I? Genesis. Genesis, right? Yeah, they probably needed a tic-tac too after the whole eating the apple thing or whatever it was. But anyways, here's what God said to them. God said, look, you've covered yourself with fig leaves. No, your fig leaves will not do. Your fig leaves will not do. And then God did something. He he did something about their nakedness. He, He sacrificed an animal. The Bible tells us he sacrificed an animal and he gave to them the skins of the animal. And so the, this sacrifice there in Genesis 4 is the first picture of what we see in the Bible called atonement. Atonement. Atonement is the Hebrew word kapoor. Kapoor. And it means to cover or to smear. And this is exactly what God did for Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 4. He, he sacrificed an animal. The blood of that animal was shed and they were, the shame of their nakedness was covered by the skins of that animal. And so what we see in the Bible moving forward, this is just a picture. This is a picture of what Jesus would ultimately do in covering our shame and covering our nakedness as through his sacrifice and through the blood that he shed, that we are covered, that there is that atonement, that kapoor, that which covers us, that covers, that clothes us in that sense. Jesus has made atonement for us. He's covered us. The citizen of heaven has the proper desire to be rightly covered, to be rightly clothed. And so he receives and has received the clothes of the kingdom of heaven, which is the robe of the righteousness of Christ. You see, Adam sinned. Man had fallen short of the glory, short of the glory of God. But Jesus Christ, the second Adam, was perfect, and he offers the covering of his perfect life to cover the shame of our nakedness, of our darkness. 
This now this isn't about this isn't about nakedness in terms of body parts and all those things. Although certainly you you think of that when you think of nakedness. This is about whether you're clothed in the light of God or clothed in the deeds of darkness. So what clothes do you have? Do you have a desire to be clothed, to be covered? This is the mark. This is the blessedness of heaven's citizens. Jesus tells us in a parable in Matthew 22 about a wedding. In in Matthew 22, there is this parable that Jesus tells. It's about a wedding banquet and the proper attire for the, the wedding banquet. So let me read. I'll read that passage there, Matthew 22, beginning at verse 1 all the way to verse 14. It says this, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. And again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and they went their ways. And one of his own to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. But when the king heard about it, He was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests... He saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. You see, this story, this parable that Jesus tells, tells, tells us of, of the importance of, of having the right clothes, of having the kingdom clothes. You see, a, a man, I don't know how, how he got into the banquet with, without the wedding garment. It, the, the story doesn't tell us. The story's purpose is to show us that to be in heaven, to be in the banquet, to be a citizen of the kingdom, that you need to have the proper attire, you need to be rightly clothed, and you need to have this robe of righteousness to be in the kingdom of heaven. Paul says in Romans, Romans 13 verses 12 and 14, you'll see it up on the screen. It says this, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light, but put on verse 14, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here Paul is describing what we're to do. We're to to put off, we're to cast off the works of darkness, like dirty clothes, like we were throwing them into the the hamper, into the dirty laundry. And, And then we're to put on, he says, the armor of light, put on Jesus Christ. What Adam and Eve lost in the garden, yeah, we're to put it on. We're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says here, blessed are you, Matthew 5, 
if you have a desire for righteousness, for you will be filled. Your desire will be filled. You'll you'll receive his righteousness. You will be clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the result of receiving the righteousness, the result of receiving this righteousness, you'll receive the blessedness, secondly tonight, the blessedness of being merciful and receiving mercy. Look at it, verse 5 of, of, or verse 7, rather, of Matthew 5. It says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. This is the blessedness of being merciful and receiving mercy. When, when this beatitude addresses those who will show mercy, it speaks to those who have already received mercy. It's, it is mercy to be emptied of your pride and, and, and brought to that place of, of poverty of spirit, of being poor in spirit. Yeah, that's mercy. If you've come in that first beatitude there, if you've come to that place of realizing your poverty of spirit, your bankruptcy without Christ, without God, yeah, that's, that there's, there's a mercy to that, of being able to see that, of being able to be brought to that place. It's, it's, it's a mercy to be brought to mourning over your spiritual condition. It's, it's mercy to receive the grace of meekness, and, and, and to become gentle of, if there's a mercy in, in, in being able to be brought under the control of the Holy Spirit. And it's mercy to be made hungry and thirsty after righteousness, to even have that desire to be rightly clothed and, and, and receive the righteousness of Christ. There's a mercy to it. Therefore, this one who is expected to show mercy is one who has already received it. If you have received mercy, then give mercy. Be merciful. Be merciful. There's a blessedness, a happiness to being merciful. Being unforgiving and judgmental will make you, it'll just make you sour. You ever been around people that just, they're just sour about things? They're just, they're just, there's just a sourness to them. There's just a sourness to their attitude. There's a sourness to their personality, just to their life. And these are generally people who are harboring uh, bitter feelings of, of hurt and, and pro- uh, probably being sinned against or having been done wrong. And they're holding on to those things. And, and in holding on to those things, they've become sour. And, and God wants us to be merciful. He wants to be merciful to us. He wants to give us forgiveness, give us uh, the riches of his glory. The, he wants us, us to be under the power and control of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be rightly clothed in the righteousness of Christ, even though we don't deserve any of it. And therefore, he wants to, he wants to, us to be merciful as well, not to be these sorrowful people. So, so be merciful, forgive, be, be a person of blessing, be a person who wants to reach out with love. Don't be what Jesus would call the unmerciful servant. Jesus taught another parable about a man in Matthew, and and we'll turn over there, Matthew chapter 18, and beginning at verse 21, Jesus tells the the parable of the unmerciful servant. It says this in Matthew 18, verse 21, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? 
You, you, you hear, you're hearing in Peter's question this, this, this idea of, hey, you know, if, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? And Peter offers this number. He says, up to seven times, Lord, as if that was, you know, that was really, you know, being a merciful, merciful person. If you, if you forgive your brother seven times, wow, that, 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 that takes a lot of, of, of grace. That takes a lot of mercy to be able to do that. And, and, uh, it's funny, Jesus, said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven, 70 times seven. And I think there's, there's a couple things here. There's the first, the idea of 70 times seven. Yeah. The, the mathematicians among us, you know, instantaneously do the math and they come up 70 times seven. How many is that? Well, it's 490. So, so the, then the question is, well, on the 491st time, does that mean I'm not merciful? Does that mean I don't forgive? No, it means there's an idea there. Of, it's 490 times. Just, just don't bother with keeping a record. Don't keep track. Love we're told in, in the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. And so we're to, we're to forgive. But I, I, I'm one that believes that there's something tied into this whole 70 times 7 thing in the Bible. And um, you see that in the 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel 9, that there is uh, this 77s that are to be determined for um, Israel and, and for the world. And, and, and then God's going to come in and set everything straight. Jesus is going to return to the earth to set everything straight. But for us, we're to be merciful because we've been shown such great mercy. So Jesus goes on. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. A talent was uh, a lot of money. 10,000 talents was, was just a tremendous amount of money. But as he was not able to pay his master, pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he held, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved, and they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should, should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. And so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespasses. So what this tells us is that from our hearts that we should be people that are ready, ready to give grace, ready to, to give mercy, ready to be merciful, ready to forgive from our hearts. Just release it from your heart. Be merciful. Go out and, and be merciful. 
one of the critics of Christians, one of the critiques of Christians is that they aren't very merciful. Uh, now that's obviously uh, a broad stroke there with a broad brush, but think about it. Where can you be more merciful? Could you ever give more mercy than you have received? No. Then, then be generously merciful. Be generous with mercy. You receive so much of it. God has from his treasure troves of great mercy that, that the Bible says are new every morning. You've received an abundance of it. Freely give it. Be merciful. Be forgiving. And, and you'll be blessed. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You're going to be happy. You're going to be blessed when you receive and give mercy. And so this is the message tonight. This is the message to, to, to be merciful, to be merciful. Why? Because you have received so much mercy. You've been forgiven of so much. You, 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 were, you had been clothed in your sin in the dark deeds of your sin, the darkness, the dark clothes of, of your sin. And Jesus came along when you realized the poverty of your, of your own state and, and he forgave you and he was merciful and he, and, and, and he exchanged those dark, sinful clothes, that sinful nakedness that you had and he gave you a white robe of his righteousness. Wow. And if that's the truth, then we need to be merciful and we'll be blessed, we'll be blessed for having the right desire to be properly clothed, and we'll be blessed because we've received mercy, and when we give it away, just as Christ has so abundantly given to us.